0: Good morning, Fellowship of Oshawa. Uh It's good to uh, be in God's Word again today, and um, I long for the day when we can worship corporately uh, together, all under the same roof or field or wherever. Um, but today we're gonna we're gonna continue our series in Matthew 13, and we're gonna look at verses 47 to 50, which is the parable of the sowers. And so, if you want to uh, read that together as a group, maybe have somebody read it out loud. Uh, I'll pause here, or just maybe pause the recording, and then pick up right after that when you're finished reading. Today we are going to do two things. First, we're going to look at the actual parable of the net and see what Jesus is teaching. And then, second, um, a bunch of you guys uh, sent in a, sent in questions about uh, the topic of hell, and I, I just wanted to thank you guys. I, I received. Uh, um, almost 15 questions and it's a pretty cool seeing all the different curiosity and the different angles uh it's good to see you guys uh, hungry to kind of understand god's word and so uh we'll spend the back part of the message uh answering those questions and uh yeah uh so first let's look at the parable and we'll just go through it verse by verse i will read again uh, verse 47 says again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind when it was full men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad one of the reasons i love matthew 13 is because it highlights jesus's ability to communicate deep spiritual truth to a variety of audiences even though these parables were taught to jews Jesus still finds different, everyday images to teach major truth. Looking at the parables, we have seen that Jesus has used agriculture, cooking, wealth, and real estate to teach. Here, Jesus uses fishing as a framework to teach as well. Jesus probably did this because he was by the Sea of Galilee, teaching in his hometown of Capernaum. Just like the city of Oshawa is known for cars, and much of our industry was once built on supporting automotive development, A town like Capernaum was built on the industry of fishing. Not only were there people who fished for a living, but I imagine that there were many other people who also built and fixed boats, built and fixed nets, and so on and so forth. Many people benefit from the industry, and so it was a language they knew well. Someone this week asked me why Jesus seems to be repeating himself from the parable of the weeds. And I think maybe it's because Jesus wanted to communicate a similar yet absolutely essential message to a different audience. Maybe a group of people who speak slightly different language than those who uh, maybe understand agriculture uh, a little bit better. In verse 48, Jesus highlights one specific component of the fishing. And I like the way the NIV translates verses, verse 47 uh, as the word dragnet which highlights the style of fishing that these men likely use. According to some quick research, as uh, fishing is not my forte, uh, dragnet fishing, uh, it appears that what you would have is uh, one group of men, perhaps in a boat, uh, would be casting a net into the water, and a second group would catch the other end of the net and then drag the fish onto the beach where they would then sit and sort through the fish. Once they dragged the net in, they would sit down on the beach and divide the fish into two categories. But why? Why all the division? Historians say that the Sea of Galilee hosted at least 20 different species of fish, most of which could be eaten. Yet, according to Leviticus chapter 11, verses 9-12, to 12, Jews could only eat fish that had fins or scales. This meant that the fishermen would sort through the fish and look for fish that did not have fins or scales, such as catfish or eel, and that would often get caught in the net. This is what Jesus meant in verse 48 when he said that they threw out the bad fish. For them, bad meant unclean, as them as Jews were forbidden from eating those types of fish. And that's essentially the parable. And to summarize, we see that the fishermen fish with a big net, they drag the fish to the beach, sit down, sort them into two categories, keep the good ones, and then discard the ones that are unclean. But behind this image of a a parable is a greater lesson. What is Jesus talking about? In verses 49 to 50, Jesus explains that the parable stands for three things that will happen when Jesus returns. So first I'll read the verses and then I'll explain. Verse 49 says, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus uh, says three things that will happen when he returns. The first is the angels, just like the fishermen, will separate humans into two categories, the evil and the righteous. The second thing that will happen is the angels will throw the evil humans, just like the unclean fish, into the fiery furnace. This is what you and I would call hell and what the book of Revelation calls the lake of fire. And then number three, the lake of fire is described as a place that is full of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I know as soon as I read these things, a flurry of questions will pop into your head. And so, um, like I said, almost 15 questions that you guys sent in and I was very encouraged. Um, but, But I'm actually not that surprised because hell is a very popular topic, even outside of Christian circles. And so... I've essentially boiled the 15 questions down into I guess five major categories or questions that I think people ask regularly and they're kind of ordered in a way that allows the questions to flow logically and biblically. So the five questions are number one what happens when people die? Number two what are hell and paradise? Number three what happens when Jesus returns? Number four is hell fair? And number five what do we do now? Embedded into those five questions, will answer almost all 15 of the questions you guys submit. So let's get started. The first one is, what happens when we die? Throughout the Bible, as well as in many cultures, when human beings die, they go to a place called the place of the dead or the underworld. This is embraced in many world religions and in many cultures around the world. In the New Testament, the place of the dead is called Sheol, it is mentioned many many times in in the in the Old Testament. This word is a neutral word that encompasses the entire underworld, though it is frequently used to refer to hell. For this reason many translations translate the Hebrew word Sheol as hell and sometimes as the pit. Some examples include Genesis 37:35, Numbers 16:30 30, and 33, Psalm 16:10 and more. In the New Testament, the Koine Greek equivalent world for the underworld or the land of the dead is the word Hades. This name is familiar if you watch the Disney movie Hercules. But anyways, the word Hades is found in ten time found ten times in the New Testament: Matthew 11:23 and 16:18, Luke 10:15 and 16:23, Acts 2:27-2:31, 2, Revelation 1:18, 6:8 and 20:13-14. So that's the word Hades, and it just means death. And the third word used in the New Testament is the word Gehenna. In the Old Testament, there are, there are several stories of people who practiced child sacrifices in a place called the Valley of Hinnom. After God punishes Israel by sending them into ba- Babylonian captivity, Israel is allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their city and the walls. From that point on, the valley of Hinnom was used as a place to burn garbage, sewage, and sometimes even criminals. Gehenna is translated into, into English as the word hell about 12 times in the New Testament. For example, in Mark chapter 9, verse 47, Jesus says, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Ultimately, Jesus uses the word Gehenna a reference to the physical place in Jerusalem as a way of explaining what spiritual Gehenna looks like, a condition. For his Jewish audience, they would hear the word Gehenna, and they would imagine a place where bodies and garbage were burnt. In terms of God's people, when we die, we also go to a place called Sheol, but we are placed in a separate, I guess, segment of Sheol, which Jews call the abode of the righteous place. Jesus uses he calls this place paradise for example in Luke twenty-three forty-three, when Jesus tells the believing robber on the cross truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise another word for this place is called Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side which we have a hard time understanding because it's somewhat of a Jewish term but basically all it means is where Abraham is and so that's what happens when we die This leads into the second question, what is hell and paradise? A great story that explains the difference between hell and paradise is found in Luke 16 verse 19 to 31. I won't read the entire thing, but this is essentially the story in three quick steps. Number one, there was once a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. The rich man lived a very classy, comfortable life while he ignored the poor man named Lazarus. One day, both men die. Number two, the rich man goes to Hades where he is tormented and the poor man, Lazarus, is carried by angels to Abraham's side. Number three, the rich man sees Lazarus with Abraham and asks Lazarus to bring him some water. However, Abraham says no for three reasons. The first reason is that the rich man's time for comfort is done and now it is time for the poor man's comfort. Number two, the rich man had his time to repent and believe in the teachings of Moses, yet rejected those teachings and lived in rebellion against God. And number three, Abraham explains to the man that there is a great chasm that separates the place of torment and the place of comfort so that people can't cross over between the realms. When we break it down, hell is described in the following ways. A place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping obviously refers to tears, but gnashing of teeth is is not really a I guess a phrase that we use very much. So uh, gnashing of teeth can be defined as grinding one's teeth together, having one's teeth set on edge, or biting down in pain, anguish, or anger. Hell is also described as a place of torment and anguish. Matthew twenty five forty one refers to hell as eternal fire. Matthew eight twelve refers to it as utter darkness. And Romans two. Uh, Verse 8 says that it is a place of wrath and anger. On the flip side, heaven is described as a place of comfort and rest. Prior to Christ's return, it is a place where God's people await Jesus' return and the resurrection of the dead. It is a place where sin no longer dwells and God's people are united with God without temptation, death, or sickness. In the book of Revelation, Jesus talks to his saints and he tells them to rest after he gives them a white robe of righteousness so this is what happens now if one of us were to pass away now or if we are to think about what happens when a loved one passes away this is what happens now all people go to sheol some people are brought to a place of torment while others are brought to paradise aka aka abraham's bosom where they are united with god uh, in comfort and rest this is what happens now. However, what Jesus is talking about in the parable of the net is what happens when he returns, which brings us to the third question, what happens when Jesus returns? And so to unpack this, it's worth reading through a few passages. And uh, I'll try to go as slowly as possible because there's some larger chunks of text. Um, but I, I'll just I'll tell you what it is and then you guys can collectively turn your Bibles there. The first passage is found in... Second Thessalonians chapter one verses six to ten. Second Thessalonians chapter one verses six to ten. Turn your Bibles, turn to your Bibles there. Second Thessalonians chapter one verses six to ten is a great passage that describes what will happen when Jesus returns. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you is believed. That's the first section. And it was actually verses 5 to 10. Now that I realize, now that I look at it right. The second one is from... The parable of the weeds in Matthew 13, verses 38 to 43. And uh, I'm just going to read through that. Matthew chapter 13, verses 38 to 43. Turn there in your Bible so you can follow along with the words. Matthew 13, verses 38 to 43 says, in Jesus' interpretation of the parable of the weeds, he says, The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And of course, this drew us into the book of Revelation. So first let's read Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 to 19. Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 to 19. Turn there in your Bible so we can you can follow along. Revelation 14, verses 14 to 19 says, I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them in the great winepress of God's wrath. And last of all, let's read Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 to 15. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 to 15. It should be like three or four pages over in your Bible. Revelation 20, verses 12 to 15 says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now I know that's a lot of Bible, and honestly I really thought long and hard about whether I should include those very powerful passages and I hope you guys will get a chance to read them over in better detail in your discussion groups. but I think it's important for us to to sit and listen to the reading of God's word and to hear what they are and to marvel at them and I pray that they uh, have affected you and that it, it's taught you something even though we've probably read a bunch of them a couple times. When we process all of those verses, uh, I kind of took some of the basic points and boiled them down into what we see about what happens when Jesus comes back. First, we see that Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire. Then, we see that Jesus will send his angels to harvest two types of people. First, his people whose names were written in the book of life will be harvested from the earth in Sheol. First, those who are dead will be resurrected. Second, those who are still alive here on earth will be called up, a.k.a. raptured, from the earth to join our newly resurrected brothers and sisters from all time. Second, the people who do not know God will be harvested from the earth and receive vengeance and wrath. These people will have the wrath of God poured out on them, on what is referred to in the Old Testament as the Day of the Lord, and these people will be killed. And then we see there's two books. The first book records the evil deeds of those who hate the Lord. Second Thessalonians says that these people do not know God and they do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And then we have another book which is called the Book of Life and it simply has names in it. Next we see that Jesus resurrects those who hate him. And he judges each of them according to what they have done in their life. Those who know him and love him are said to shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father and will marvel at Jesus' return and will glorify him and worship him. This will be the greatest day of our lives, while for those uh, who do not know Jesus, it will be a day of doom. Those whose names are not found in the book of life are thrown into the lake of fire. That's the next thing that happens. Additionally, unlike the movies that depict that Satan is in hell torturing bad people, earlier in Revelation chapter 20, we also see that Satan and his demons are thrown in there as well. Matthew 13 verses 41 to 42 also teaches us that all causes of sin are also thrown into the fiery furnace. And last, we see that death and Hades itself is thrown into the lake of fire. So you see that it's sinners, causes of sin... Satan, his demons, and death and Hades itself is thrown into the lake of fire. And lastly, we see that the lake of fire is eternal and filled with torment and anguish. Matthew chapter twenty-five verse forty-one says, says that this is an eternal fire. And Revelation fourteen eleven says that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name annihilationism says that 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 these people are killed as a part of god's mercy but revelation fourteen eleven shows that their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest and so there is no annihilation of the soul just perpetual wrath that god himself sustains this leads to question number four is all of this fair Within all of the detail about Jesus' coming and what happens when people die, the pushback is often, that's not fair. I understand this pushback because really, who likes thinking about going to hell or about others going to hell? It is uncomfortable at best, and it's not something enjoyable or fun to discuss. To discuss fairness, though, we have to discuss what fairness even looks like. On one hand, we could say that a loving God wouldn't send anyone to hell. Yes, it is true, God is loving, but God is also holy and just. We human beings understand justice, and we lean hard on His justice when we think about uh, war criminals, people like Adolf Hitler, or child molesters, or people who embezzle millions of billions of dollars. You see it in the comment sections when cases and trials are awaiting verdicts and sentencing. You read the comment sections on Facebook and people say they need to get life, a life sentence or we need to bring back the death, death penalty or the electric chair. People will say stuff like, I hope they burn in hell because in their minds, they've crossed some sort of line that is evil and wicked. Justice is a concept that we understand. However, justice is very easily applied to anyone else. You know, when we start to think of the average person or ourselves, nuance starts to kick in. When we look at the bad things a person has done, we start to say, well, they were just raised that way. Or, oh, they had no chance. Or, those people are not so bad because it's not like they're out there murdering and raping people. However, by coming up with this category of people who aren't that bad, we create a third category of person. We create a category of person who maybe isn't a Bible-thumping Christian but also isn't a murderer unfortunately jesus does not afford us this third category in the parable of the net the fisherman pulls uh, put the fish into two distinct buckets while there is lots of nuance in the scriptures and lots of nuance in life the bible is often packed with this binary system of good and evil we see it all the time jesus refers to the wheat and the tares light and darkness the sheep and the goat sons of god and enemies of god And of course, those whose names are written in the book of life and those whose names are not. This binary system is not based on our own models of righteousness, but instead is built on God's objective system of right and wrong, namely His holy law. Instead of comparing ourselves to others, we must do the honest work of comparing ourselves to God's standard as found in the Ten Commandments. When we do this, we see that Romans 3.23 is indeed true. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God In this system, we see that there is only God and sinner Not God, sinners, and those who haven't killed anyone We all fall short of God and His glory Because we have all broken His holy standard We have all hated, lusted, stole, lied, cheated, coveted, and rebelled against God With this reality in mind, the only just and right action for God, the only fair action for God to take, is for everyone to go to hell, not some. We ask the wrong question when we say, why does God send some people to hell and some people to heaven? The right question that we need to ask is, why does God send anyone to heaven? The reason why God sends anyone to heaven is because he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, the only perfect man to die in our place. Jesus was innocent, and yet He bore all of the wrath that was due to us on the cross. This act was truly unfair, but God, in His love, sent His Son to do this thing for us. The Bible teaches us that those who believe in Jesus, those who repent of their sins, and those who pick up their crosses and follow Him, will be saved. It is these people whose names will be written in the book of life. It is us who declare that Jesus Christ is Lord who will live with Him in eternity in short hell is fair it is fair because all have sinned and fall short of his glory and he has written his standard of right and wrong on all of our hearts we all know that we have sinned and he has given us all a fair chance because even for those who have not heard of jesus they have the opportunity to discover god through his creation romans 1 teaches us that even those on undiscovered islands have plenty of evidence of god's creation and of God's existence through his creation i should say in eternity we will meet many souls who even though they didn't have the right words or a bible or may even heard about the name of jesus even because even because these people still beat their chests in humility crying out to the creator for 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 mercy these people even though they didn't have the words will be justified by faith And for those who truly cannot humble themselves and believe, for example, children and those with disabilities, the Bible teaches us that all are born into sin, and yet, mysteriously, I believe that children and those with disabilities will be with Jesus for eternity, not because they are good inherently, but because God is good and merciful, and these people cannot truly help themselves because they lack the capacity to do so. And so I believe God in His mercy will will, will meet those people where they are. In the end, hell will not be filled with people who wish they did it differently or are sorry for their deeds. Rather, it will be filled with people who, just like when they were living on earth, still hate God and still won't repent of their sins. Revelation 16 verses 8 to 11 says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched with fierce heat, but they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. This is a vivid image of what hell will be like and what the people will be like the bible does not teach that these people will be sorry or weep in repentance for their deeds instead they will curse the lord which leads us to the final question number five which is what now first if you are someone who does not believe in jesus or maybe at some point you believed but you don't actively follow him I want to encourage you today to consider hard what we've discussed today. The concept of hell is very scary, but rest assured, God has made a way. The reason why Jesus talks more about hell than heaven is because he wants us to know how serious it is. is. And I want you to know how serious it is as well. You may doubt that this is a literal place, but the question I have for you is why does it matter if it is literal or figurative? The words that Jesus uses are so vivid and powerful and they're definite in their intensity and they're definite in whether they're good or bad. For example, what does it mean to suffer in torment and anguish figuratively? What does it mean to be cast into a lake of fire figuratively or symbolically? What does it mean to be separated from God for eternity in a figurative way? Regardless if it is literal or figurative, the Bible is descriptive enough about hell for it to be a warning. A warning to do what? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus has made a way for you to be with him forever and to live for him now. Of course, if you're not ready to do this, if you're not ready to 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 confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and if you're not ready to repent of your sins and, and and leave your old life behind but you're you you know you're still eager to learn more and more so that you can be more informed then let us know. We'd still love to journey with you. And I'd encourage you to talk to whoever you came with or talk to one of the pastors. We would be very happy to help you along the path. For those who do believe in Jesus I want you to take hell seriously and I'm just going to leave you with three points. Number one, take it so seriously that you do the honest work of understanding it. While we as Christians love to dogmatically believe in things, I believe the Bible is clear on this subject. However, it requires work, honest work, to dig in and understand it for yourself. And So I encourage you to use this sermon as a springboard to your own personal studies. So instead of just parroting what I've said, you can understand it and clearly explain it to to someone who may be curious. I have a friend named Sumer who used to run an apologetics website and very often he'd said to me, in the top three subjects, top three things that people search for on his site were all it always included hell. Sub things about hell. People are curious and people are hungry and so do the work of trying to understand it. Number two, take it so seriously that you worship him for it. I know that sounds weird, but let's look at Romans chapter 9, verses 22 to 24. And it says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power no- known, his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his gl- glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand? even us whom He he has called, not from the Jews only, but from the Gentiles? Seek to understand that God pouring out His wrath is not only there to complete His holy justice, but like it says in the passage, it is there to also make known His power and make known the riches of His glory for us vessels of mercy. I pray that the reality of hell makes us Each and every single one of us bow down and worship God today. The third and last one is to take hell so seriously that you preach the gospel. One of the main reasons we are so apathetic about sharing our faith is because we lack urgency and don't take hell seriously. We as believers hold the cure to the world's worst sickness and yet so many of us sit on our hands protecting our comfort. By diminishing hell, we also diminish the great work of Jesus to deliver us from hell. Amen? Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you again and again, as we often do. Get out there, please, and please warn people of this great pain. But do not only warn them of hell, but also warn them and give them the cure in Jesus Christ. Remind them with boldness about the great work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, to forgive us of our sins and to bear the wrath of God. Remind them of the powerful resurrection of Jesus who defeated death and makes it so that we do not have to fear death anymore. Show them the great life that we have in Christ now, not just for when He returns or for when we die, but for today. Show them with your life. Show them with your words. Church, I pray that this message was helpful for you and i pray that in your groups that you would have very fruitful discussion father thank you for your scriptures that you give to us you've revealed yourself to us and every now and again we'll come across a passage like this that is so uh that like really really demands our attention father i pray that we would not be people who skip over passages like this but that when we see it and we see these stories of the of of the fishermen separating the fish and keeping some that are good and throwing away the rest father i pray that we would not shy away or wince i pray that we would not turn away but that we would lean into it that we would see that you god are doing great things and that you have taught you have you've given us your word to show us where we ought to go father i pray that you would be with us help us to understand hell and give us great motivation to continue to confess that you are lord and to tell people about how great you are but also to warn people of of this uh hard truth Fill us with hope as we go today. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.